Okay, so last week we spent some time looking at what the Bible says about the gospel as we worked our way through that two ways to live uh, tract. Um, and if you remember, the, the tract essentially laid out for us a six-point outline or framework for delivering the gospel message. And it focused on the purpose for God creating us, our rebellion against him, uh, the consequences for that rebellion, what God has done in Jesus Christ to reconcile sinful man back to himself, the reality that Jesus has made his people new and is coming back as the judge of all mankind, and then the urgent need for man to respond to this reality. So in summary of that, we see that God created us to serve him, to love him, to live under his authority. We rebelled against him, choosing instead to serve and love ourselves and to reject God's rule in our lives. And what we saw was that the Bible does not take, or God does not take, that rebellion lightly. Uh, He calls it sin. And because God is completely good, he would be just in punishing us eternally for these sins. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord provided a way for us to be reconciled with himself. We looked at Jesus living in perfect obedience to his Father and then dying on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners. And then, as the scriptures testify, three days later, rising from the dead and proving that God has accepted this sacrifice. So what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God, is now available for all who would turn away from their sin, what the Bible calls repentance, and put their trust in Christ. As we think about that as Christians, we count it both a joy and a privilege to be given the responsibility of sharing this gospel, right? We we think about how, when we think of what God has done for us in Christ, how can we not want to share that with other people and make it known to them? It's bigger than any news we can possibly imagine, right? A good report about the weather about our health, about sports, about a great meal, a great book, great movie, politics, the economy, whatever it is. The gospel is the one and only message in the world through which God brings souls from death to life. And if you're a believer, you know that to be true about yourself. You know how you, as the song All I Have is Christ puts it, that you were lost in darkest night, right? Until, as the song says, you beheld God's love displayed in the gospel and how, as a result, now all you know is grace, right? And that brings us to our topic for, for this morning, what it means to faithfully share that testimony of what God has done in your life with others. So on your note sheet there, You can follow along. This is broken up into a couple different uh, sections. Um, But I want to talk about what a personal testimony is and what it isn't, just to kind of clarify clarify some things. So the personal, personal testimony is this, the story of how you came to be reconciled to God through the gospel. And we'll kind of flesh that out in more detail in a few minutes. But right from the get-go, We want to be clear about something so that we can avoid any misunderstanding. 
Sharing your testimony in and of itself does not necessarily constitute evangelism. It just depends on how uh, you bring the gospel into that and you bear witness to it. Um, you've probably shared your testimony or I've shared my testimony. You've heard others share their testimony where they can talk about what God has done in their lives but still miss components of the gospel within that, right? And at times, you know, you get that nod from people, that's good for you, I'm glad that, you know, happened for you. And that's not to say that that wouldn't happen if you uh, bring the gospel to bear. But we want to make sure that we understand that it can be a great bridge for the gospel, and the gospel can certainly be included. And that's what we hope to do, is that when we do have a chance to share our testimonies with others, that we make sure that the gospel is clear in that, in that testimony. Uh, in Matthew 28, as we've looked at numerous times, kind of our, our, verse, our verses for this, this class where Jesus commissions Christians to go and make disciples. In other words, to share the gospel with people and then to encourage those who accept it to grow in spiritual maturity and in their relationship with God. So Jesus brings Christians into the Great Commission to tell others about what he accomplished on the cross. And as we've looked at, right, that's the charge. And, and I, I want to say it this way. It's the joyful charge that's given to the church of Jesus Christ, right? We don't see it as merely an option. Like we should probably go and make disciples, right? It's like, no, you go and make disciples uh, of all nations. And again, that's a joyful thing to be able to do that. We recognize as we've looked at, you're going to face persecution at some level, ridicule, mocking, whatever the case may be, as you bring this, this news to others. But by God's grace, you may at times see people come from death to life, right? And there's nothing, nothing greater than that. So even though we're, we're dedicating this class to the aspect of sharing our personal testimonies, we don't want to think that simply sharing that testimony should ever be a substitute for sharing the gospel and for making sure that our gospel is clearly articulated in that. Um, I like the way that Mark Dever put it. I believe this is from his book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, which is a small book. I think I gave it away to somebody, actually, at the, uh, the beginning of this class. But he says this, A personal testimony is a wonderful thing. The Bible is full of examples of it. And we should testify to the wonderful experience of receiving God's mercy. But consider John 9 and the man born blind. He gives his testimony, but doesn't even know who Jesus is. His words glorify God, but they don't present the gospel. This is not evangelism. Unless you're explicit about Jesus Christ and the cross, then it's not the gospel. Okay, so we, I, th I think that's a good word from Deborah uh, to help us to, to stay focused on this. So, First, our personal testimonies are not the gospel, but rather a statement to how the gospel has proved itself true in our lives. So with that said, I hope that we can grasp how the act of sharing our testimonies can be an effective tool for the purposes of evangelism. All right, so on your note sheet there, let's uh, jump into this. Three reasons to share your testimony. Three reasons to share your testimony. The first one is, it's, it's our jo joyful privilege to do so, right? Psalm 66 verse 16 Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what God, what he has done for me, what God has done for me. That should be the thrust of our hearts when we talk to people. Listen to what the Lord has done. Okay? And then you expand that out. And this is where you kind of get into more bringing it to them. 
not only what he's done for me, but what he's done for all who would repent and believe this glorious good news. So the first reason there on your notes is to fight fear and doubt in evangelism. To fight fear and doubt in evangelism. Whenever you start to get nervous at sharing the gospel with someone, or whenever you start to doubt if God really has the power to save the person that he's put in your path to to talk with about the gospel, taking some time to remember how God intersected in your own life can be a powerful weapon in your struggle uh, against finding boldness and sharing your faith, right? It's good at times for us just to reflect back. Let me think again at what God did in saving me. Let me just, let me recount that and think about the goodness of the Lord. And you find that joy arises in your heart and you're stunned again at what God has done. And as that's fresh in your heart, it gives you boldness. Let me go bring this to somebody. I can't believe he saved me. Of course he can save anybody else if he, if he saved me, right? So that, that, can, that can help uh, in fighting that doubt and fear that we often face in evangelism. How many of you came to Christ by another person sharing the gospel with you, either verbally or somebody giving you a track or a Bible or something like that? Raise your hand if that's how you came to know the Lord. Okay. So, are you happy that they did that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Aren't you glad that they were bold enough to bring that to you? Right? And maybe even in the, in the moment, like I think about my own conversion and how the Lord brought certain people in my life to bring the gospel to me. I didn't want to hear any of that when they were bringing that to me. I was like, that's nonsense. That's for you, good for you, all right? But I'll tell you what, when I got converted, I wanted to go back and thank those people (laughs) for bringing the word of God to me. The Lord did that for me, actually. There was a a guy in college, um, Robbie Johnson, who now serves as a pastor up in Gainesville, And when we were in school together up there, um, you know, we lived ungodly together. And then while we were up there, Robbie got saved. And we we worked together at Publix at that time. And I remember he came in one day just beaming. And he's like, Ron, I got to tell you something. I I got saved. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) And so he starts explaining this to me. And I'm, all right, that's that's great. I'm, I'm glad that you came to know the Lord, whatever that means, I don't really know, but I was just like, all right, I guess Robbie and I aren't going to be doing what we used to do together. <laughs> so I'll continue in my wicked ways, and he's going his own, his own way here. About four or five years after that, I'd gotten saved just probably within the year after Robbie did this, but we, we parted ways. About four or five years after that, Um, I was working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I was working at a camp, and in my group, I had a young man who had a very distinct accent. Robbie was from a place called Mayo, Florida, Um, very thick accent, and I heard this guy speak in my group, and I was like, man, that sounds like the same accent as Robbie Johnson, and he said he was from Mayo. I said, hey, do you know Robbie Johnson? He's like, yeah, I know Robbie very well. I was like, do you know how I can get in contact with him? He's like, I sure do. Here's his phone number. So we hadn't seen each other for about four or five years, and I, I called him on the phone, and he said, hello. I said, hey, Robbie, do you know who this is? He had no idea who I was. I said, hey, this is Ron Wood. And he's like, Ron, how you doing? And I said, listen, I just wanted to call and let you know that I became a Christian. 
And we've had just great fellowship since that time. We went from living together in ungodliness to now both serving the Lord in pastoral ministry. And I think about just the powerful witness that Robbie had in my life and testifying to the gospel. Because when I got saved, it was like the Lord brought that back to my mind immediately. Robbie didn't necessarily lead me to Christ, but he planted a seed that day that would bring forth fruit in the, in the future. So thinking about those type of things, of how God works, can help you fight that fear and doubt that you face in evangelism. Right? When that person doesn't respond the way that you think, you have no idea how God's going to use that. Right? Just be faithful to the task that you've been given. It really is good to recall at times how lost we were without God. I, I, Pastor Jack will get to this probably next week, but uh, Ephesians 2.12. So here's, here's Paul writing to these Gentiles. Remember, okay, remember, Ephesians, I want you to think about this. Remember that you were at that time when you were lost, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Isn't that amazing? God, I want you to remember that. Remember what you were so that you can rejoice in who you are now in Christ. That's a powerful witness. We're to recall, like the preacher and hymn writer John Newton wrote of himself before his conversion, he said, I was capable of anything and had not the least fear of God before my eyes nor the least sensibility of conscience. Recalling that reality of who we were apart from Christ, how we were hellbound, how the emptiness of this world's lies were appealing to us, how our heart was cold and hard as a rock, how we were enemies of God. Because doing that from time to time causes us to marvel afresh at what God has done for us in Christ. Right after this verse, you have this verse, but now. So remember at that time, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The freshness of that. Paul's reminding these Ephesian believers, remember who you are so that you can rejoice. Or remember who you were so that you can rejoice in who you now are. And that sparks a fire in your heart that helps you to go out and remember the power of the gospel that's able to take a dead person and make them alive. And God has given us the gracious, gracious privilege to, to go and do that. And our testimonies can be a powerful witness to those that we're speaking with. We marvel at how, as Augustine wrote in his book, The Confessions, he said, God released you from the fetters of lust, which held you so tightly shackled and from your slavery to the things of this world. So we marvel at where our life was headed and the trajectory that it's now on in Christ, how God has rescued us, how he's filled our lives, how he's forgiven us of our sins, how he's broken our stony hearts and replaced it with a heart of love for him, how he's made us sons and daughters. It's a glorious reality. And we ought to contemplate that often. And in so doing, it will create a great fervency in our heart to bring the gospel to other people. It has that effect when you're talking to a person and you see the hardness of their hearts, to think about the hardness of your own heart as it was at times, and to think, God broke through. Why am I despairing? Why do I not think that he can break through 
on this person's heart. So thinking about your own testimony can help fight that fear and doubt in, in evangelism. Another reason there on your outline that you should take uh, time to share your testimony is to encourage other Christians to share the gospel. To encourage other Christians to share the gospel. When we encounter brothers and sisters who are struggling to be faithful in evangelism or brothers and sisters who are struggling with apathy towards the lost, as I think we all from time to time we face that, we should share with them how we have seen God at work in our own lives and challenge them to recall God's saving and sanctifying work in theirs. Help them remember. Help one another remember. You know, it's easy for us to talk about where we're from, what we do, or what kinds of things we're into. But listen, conversations among Christians should be full of testimonies about the wonderful workings of God. As, as I was thinking through that, I want us to ask this question, right? Do you know the stories of those sitting around you about how they came to Christ? I don't know the stories of some of you. Do you know how one another came to know the Lord? When, when you pray for one another, do you thank God for how he saved so-and-so? how he worked in their lives, how he brought a faithful gospel witness into their lives and bringing them to repentance. So, so here, here's a challenge for us, right? Let's get to know one another, right? Let's spend that time together. Let's go out to lunch together and share our testimonies with one another. Tell me how God brought you from death to life. And listen, that's going to look way different, right? And that, that's the greatness of our testimonies. It's like, Wow, this guy over here, he was four years old and the Lord saved him. Brought him to a true understanding of the gospel. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This guy over here, he was 60 when he came to know the Lord. Right? You just see the vastness of the grace of God and how he works in people's lives. So, so do that. Think about, hey, you know, there's some people in here that I don't know how the Lord saved them. I want to know that. That's encouraging. It strengthens your own faith, doesn't it? To hear again how the Lord worked in another person's life. Listen, every one of us in here, we're miracles in that sense. God brought us from death to life. Our trajectory has been radically changed. We're now headed for the land of glory rather than for an eternity bearing the wrath of God. So make it a point to get to know one another and to hear the testimonies of how God has brought us out of darkness to life because that can stir up in your heart again a freshness for evangelism hearing the powerful working of God in one another's lives okay number three there on your outline another reason to share your testimony is to steer conversations with unbelievers towards the good news and bear witness to its truth in your life so to steer those those conversations with unbelievers toward that good news and to bear witness to its truth in your life. Again, sharing a personal testimony doesn't take the place of sharing the gospel. It can be extremely effective um, as an on-ramp, so to speak, for, for evangelism. It's a great way to move a converse, conversation towards the gospel, okay, and to bear witness of it uh, in, our, in our own lives. So, you know, we're always thinking and praying for God, help me to 
kind of steer this conversation toward the gospel. Help me to have an open door for that. And your testimony can be a very powerful way, powerful way of doing that. Okay? All right, so that's the first section there. Any, any points, any testimonies that you guys uh, want to share, how you've seen God uh, work in your life and, and using your own testimony to help others? Audrey. Well, you know that shortly, a few months ago, I moved. Yes. Sold my house and moved to an apartment for seniors, 55 and over. And I've been praying to the Lord to open some doors there for me to talk with others, to be a part of something that could lead them to think more about the Lord. Yes. And he's opened already two or three doors. Amen. And I'm part of the study group. I just was asked if I could be part of a prayer group. I am part of a sunshine group. <laughs> and one of the ladies said, maybe we should make it S-O-N instead of There you go. And, uh, and the Lord is just opening so many doors. Amen. And he does hear our prayers. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. Good. All right, let's take a look at the... Uh, uh, well, actually, before we get into that, that next point, let me, let me unpack this, this third point here about how steering these conversations. Um, you're probably familiar with the story of the woman at the well in John 4, but I want to go back and kind of read that testimony and things that we can be encouraged by from it and glean. So it's pretty extensive. Um, so I want to go ahead and turn there. I didn't put this up on the PowerPoint because I'd have like 40 slides just of this passage if I... I did that. Not quite that many. It's a little hyperbole. But. So let's look at John 4. And we're going to read verses 4 through 30. So if I can have somebody read 4 through 15, who would be willing to take that? 4 through 15 in John 4. Sabrina, thank you. Okay, and then how about 16 through 26? I'd be willing to do that, Rachel. Okay, thanks. And then the last part there, 27, now this, this, put on your thinking caps here, 27 through 30, and then 39 through 42. Okay, so 27 through 30 and 39 through 42. Okay. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> that's fine. If you and Sonia want no, to school it up, you can read. <laughs> 27 through 30. Okay, so let's go ahead and read this. John 4, verses 4 through 30, and then... 39 through 42. And, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sinkar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You were right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such joy to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you see, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water pillar and went away to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming. Meanwhile, the disciples approached him and said, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not eat. And then 39? Yes, through 42, yep. The Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever knew. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior. Amen. Great, great testimony. There's a lot that we could say about this passage, and I think a couple things just kind of jump out to us, the way that Jesus goes directly against societal and religious standards of the day by willing, willingly entering into this exchange with a Samaritan woman, uh, the way that he reads the woman's heart and reveals her sin, uh, the way he in mercy holds out himself to her as the fountain of life. Uh, the way he affirms God's revealed will throughout the nation of Israel while at the same time opening up the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. But I want to look more closely at what the woman does in response to her encounter with Jesus at, this, at the well here. And from this, we'll come up with two rough guidelines for sharing our personal testimonies with unbelievers, which is the next point on your outline there. 
First, the woman testifies to others about her experience with Christ. Right? So the fact that the woman leaves her water jar at the well, remember, that's why she came there, was to fill it up, speaks to her astonishment over Jesus' apparent omniscience, which is shown clearly in his revealing of the hidden sins in her, in her life and of her amazement at Jesus' claim to be the, the Messiah. When you look at her response, you see this is somebody who had to find someone else to tell them what Jesus had done, had to tell somebody what had just happened to her at the well. And that's exactly what she does, right? Back in town, the text says she goes and she finds a group of people, people who presumably have known her all their lives, Sychar being a very small town. And she tells them how Jesus, whom she had never met before, knew all about her many marriages and her many sins. The whole scene here after this woman leaves has kind of like this hurried feel to it as she's kind of testifying on the run while ushering her audience to go see for themselves. And before we move on to this next observation, we should make an application here. Sometimes it's the people who know us the best, right? Family members who have been with us through maybe difficult teenage years, friends we used to party with, co-workers who witnessed our grumbling or dishonesty at work before we became Christians. Sometimes it's those people, the ones who know us best, that we fear sharing our testimony with and sharing the gospel with the most. I think Forrest brought that up last week, talking about that. We feel they'll call us out and not take the changes in us seriously. Like, I, I know who you really are, right? And this is where we can kind of take cues from this woman at, this, at the well. We shouldn't shrink back from sharing the gospel with the people who know us best. As a matter of fact, these may be the very people we should pray about sharing the gospel with the most. How amazing of a testimony it would be to explain to them God's grace and his saving power. How God has changed our lives to admit to them that we were so lost before and that as they well know our lives were full of sin and self-righteousness. But then to proclaim to them how Jesus changed all that on the cross and what he has done for his people. You know, it, it's amazing, isn't it? You can see the work of grace in this woman's life. Jesus lays this woman bare for who she truly is. And what does she do? She goes and tells others, come see a man who just told me all that I've ever done. Right? Some people call her the first evangelist. That, that's right, yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that's rightly stated. You see here a woman full of astonished, joyful excitement inviting others to come and meet a man who just totally exposed her sinful heart. Why doesn't she sh just hang her head in shame, pick up her water pot, and quietly go back into town and tell nobody what just happened at the well? There's a man who knows who I truly am. I'm going to my house so that nobody else hears about this. You see just the opposite. She goes back into town and she declares, here's a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. Come and meet him. She's like, really? You want your... It's only the gospel that has that power 
to help you to see your sin in the proper light when it is exposed to see the grace that covers all the sin that is there. So she goes back into town apparently quickly to tell people about what Jesus had done with her and how they should go see him. So there's, there, there's this sense of hope that this woman has rather than despair and utter shame as we might expect. Because Jesus said in John chapter 3, the light has come into the world, but men hate the light. They love the darkness lest their deeds would be exposed, right? Well, this woman didn't care. She was grateful that her deeds had been exposed. Why? Because there was gospel in that. There was good news in that. And I think it's found in what Jesus said to her early on in this conversation in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, right? Woman, this is nothing you can earn. If you knew the gift of God and who it is, I'm sorry, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She doesn't grasp that immediately, but I think at the end of their conversation, there's an illumination from the Spirit that she grasps the reality of what has taken place here. We see in verses 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is hope that Jesus lays out for this woman. She doesn't initially grasp all that, but I think later on by her response, the Spirit illuminates her to the reality of what Jesus has just said. So there's a sense of joyful hope that springs forth from this woman's heart. And indeed, that should be the disposition of our hearts when we're sharing our testimony. We shouldn't highlight our sin and, oh, you should, you, you should hear what I did when I was lost. Let me tell you. Right? You don't need to get into all that. But we should speak about it with a sense of shame for our sin against God and what it truly was. And then joyfully speak of the liberating power of the gospel and what God has done in Christ to bring us to himself. So I think the woman can help us in understanding that as she testifies to others about Jesus. And then notice the second thing that she does. She directs them to Jesus. She directs them to Jesus. After testifying to others about her experience with Christ, the woman then points them to Jesus. She directs them back up to the well. And the testimony of these Samaritans is pretty revealing here, isn't it? Afterwards, the, the text tells us that they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Right? So it's, it's never our testimony in itself that brings someone finally to salvation. Listen, it's the testimony of what God has done in Christ for sinful people. That's the testimony that we want to make sure is the overarching testimony in our own testimony, is that we bear witness to that reality. Here's the testimony that stands above every other testimony. It's the testimony of what God has done in Christ to save sinful people. And we want to make that clear. God is the one who saves. And even still, our testimonies can be a wonderful way, as we see here in John 4, to steer people towards the Savior, to point them in that direction. 
Unlike the woman at the well, we don't have the option of literally taking our friends and family to Jesus. He's at my house right now. Come meet him, right? But listen, we have the charge to introduce them to Jesus through the gospel, the living word of God. That's the power that we have. And that's the beauty of it, right? That's why Jesus said, it's more profitable for you that I go away and that I send the comforter. So we're now going to have to say, in order to see Jesus, you got to get on the plane with me and we got to go all the way across, right? It's like, you want to see Jesus? Here he is. Now, every believer can testify to the reality of what God has done. Okay, so I think those are, those are helpful guidelines. Now, let me get into this last point here and speak about a general framework for sharing your personal testimony. And this is just a brief kind of template. Uh, and if, you, if you've gone through any type of evangelism class, you've probably learned this uh, in the past. But what your life was like before Christ, okay? What your life was like before Christ. And again, this, this isn't a place in your testimony to brag about sin if you sinned wild, widely or publicly. And also, listen, also it's not a place to minimize your sin. If you came to Christ at an early age and you weren't as publicly rebellious as much, instead, this is a place to talk about where you were apart from Christ. We have to cement this reality into our minds, right? No one is born a Christian, right? We want to make sure that we help this person to see that wherever I was in the stage of life, God rescued a rebel, right? However that may have been, Displayed. So if you got saved really early and your rebellion wasn't shown as much, you can talk about the inherent sinfulness of man. Yeah, I may not have been the one who is, you know, hopping from bar to bar and womanizing and all those type of things. I got saved when I was five, but you know what? The Bible tells me this. This is my nature, who I was before Christ saved me, and I give him glory for that. So talk about that season of your life. Talk about how you used to think about God or sin or Christianity. Uh, it's it, that, that When you share your testimony too, it's often a good way to um, relate to somebody else, right? If I come across people who are from a Catholic background, I use that as a bridge to get into the gospel with them because I can relate to them on that, on that level. And I can share with them my testimony and what God has done. And they can, they can understand that. So it's often in, in this sharing that the person or the people that you're sharing with will be able to relate to you and see how they too have strayed from God. Okay, So we don't want to highlight all these sins in our lives, but we do want to talk about the rebellious nature of man. And we do be, want to be able to testify to people how we saw that evident in our own lives. Right. So we're not sitting up on some ivory tower and I have no idea what sin really is. You know, right? We know very well what, what sin is. So you want to talk about what your life was like before Christ. Number two, how you came to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Again, some people may have a dramatic circumstance around their conversion, while others have, quote-unquote, seemingly less dramatic conversions. But the point is that there is a time that you turned from your sin of trusting in whatever it is that you were trusting in to be made right with God and turned to Christ. So you want to make sure that you talk about what God did during this time and what it is that you turned to believe in. Talk to them about Christ's death in your place and his resurrection. Share with them how you turned 
from your sin and how you trusted fully in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, you want to make, make that clear to them. Okay, number three is what power the gospel has had in your life, what your life has been like since knowing Christ. And again, what we want to avoid here is this isn't a time to highlight how great we now are. It's like, man, look look at me now. But instead, it's a time to show them how great Christ is, right? And how he has transformed your life. It's also an excellent time to talk to them about your enduring need for the gospel, right? It didn't just save you. It's continuing to sanctify you. The fact that you still need it to this day, right? Because a lot of people have this perception that Christians are just, oh yeah, you think you're better than everybody else. Be humble with people. and I need the gospel today, to sanctify me and conform me more into the image of Christ. I still have things that I'm battling with, that I'm fighting against, fleshly desires that I despise. So take that opportunity to dispel the false ideas that Christianity is for perfect people. Tell them how Christ is still your Savior and how you still need his abundant mercy to cover your proneness to wander. And then fourth, and this is really important, okay, in, in this proclamation of it. I'm not saying that it's going to happen immediately, but you always want to help that person see their need for the gospel, how the person you're sharing with can experience the same. As with any gospel presentation, we want to make sure that after we've shared with this person, that we call them to respond to Christ, okay? Remember that this is God's testimony above all things, and God commands all people everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. So there should be a call to respond to Christ. Turning the situation away from you, this isn't just good for me. This is why this is good news for you and everybody else. And that's where you can really get in. If you've missed any components of the gospel as you've gone through that, you can really help them to see their own personal need for that. It's important that when you've shared your testimony and are calling someone to repentance that you clearly state the fact that you aren't asking them to become like you, right? Instead, you're calling them to do what the woman at the well did, come and see Jesus. Make sure we're pointing them to Jesus. Now, we should be modeling that, certainly. And there should be a sense in which we can say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. But you're not the Savior, right? You want to make sure that you direct them to him. So your testimony should point to Christ and your call to repentance ought to do the same. Call them to consider who Jesus is and how he has changed your life and tell them that he can change them too and that they desperately need to be changed just as you did. Okay? So hopefully those are, those are helpful points for you as you think about sharing your own testimony. We've got about five minutes left, so does anybody want to share anything or... Interject for us. I just wanted to add one thing that um, I think when you're sharing, before a person can even think about repenting yeah. and turning, yeah. it's important sometimes to clarify and ask, do you understand? Yeah. I think it's a huge yeah. key yeah. Yeah. because very often they have questions 
Yeah. But they don't want to ask. Yes. Yeah. Because no. It, good point. It, you know, just, it's just almost like everyday conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. Really nice. Amen. Very, very good point for us, Sabrina. I just wanted to share that we were at the beach yesterday. Yeah. And there was a group of college students, and they had these like cards. Yep. Yeah, it's really encouraging. It was very encouraging yeah, yeah. yeah, they were right next to us. I was hoping that they were going to come over. Well, our group was too but, big. I think they were targeting like small groups, like two people, where they could really engage in the conversation. Yeah. It was very encouraging. Not, not 14 years <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, we were spread out all over the beach with our, our family, but um, yeah, that was really encouraging. I was, I was really encouraged by that. George. Reminded them not to forget like that. But then in Revelation, God says, this against you that you've lost, that you've lost your first love. Yeah. So it's a reminder. I don't know if it was a new church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Example. Right. But he says, I have this against you that you have lost your first love. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Um, so, listen, I gave you another handout there uh, with our outreach schedule for the rest of the year. I um, want to invite you to come out to those opportunities. We've got one this Saturday, I believe, correct? Right. 16th, yeah, 16th. So we've got one this, this Saturday. Um, so going out door to door. I um, want to encourage you to come out to that. Uh, great opportunity to bear witness uh, for the Lord. You don't have to say anything if you feel really intimidated. Come out and pray. And it was kind of interesting. Sabrina and I were watching this interaction taking place next to us with this. Uh, this this one guy did the majority of the talking. We thought the other girl was actually with the family. But the blessing of that is the other person is praying while you're talking or you're praying while the other person is talking or you're both praying as you're listening to what the person is telling you. So just opportunities that we have. If you can't make it out to that, please be praying for these opportunities as we go to bear witness uh, to the gospel. So we've got a few opportunities with door to door. There's a, an abortion clinic uh, trip on there, um, some Lake Eola outings. There's a Winter Park Christmas parade at the end of the year, uh, which is always packed with people. Um, and that's an easy time to talk about the things of the Lord because everybody's there to celebrate Christmas. So it's an, an easy opportunity. So please uh, think about joining us um, for that. You can see myself or Peter if you have any, any further questions, but we'd love to. Love to see you guys out there, okay? All right, well, let's go ahead and, uh, and pray. God. Father, we thank you. Uh, Lord, as we just think about your work in our lives, um, I pray that you would help each of us, even this week, Lord, to just take some time and meditate on what you did in bringing us to yourself, Lord. Help us to recall the greatness of your grace and bringing us from death to life. And Father, we pray that as you do that, you would help our hearts just to rejoice afresh in what Christ has done and also to be encouraged by the power of the gospel. That it would encourage us that whoever we know that isn't a believer, a family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, whatever the case may be, that our hearts would be encouraged. You save, Lord. You bring the power of the gospel and you change people. We are testimonies of that. We thank you 
for doing that in our lives, for bringing us to yourself. Make us joyful vessels to bring this gospel to those who are around us, Lord. And we pray specifically for this door-to-door opportunity on Saturday, Lord. You know the people that we need to speak with. And we pray that you would guide and direct that, that you would bear witness for your glory, Lord, that your gospel would go forth with great power. We pray for open hearts to hear the truth of your word, Lord. Let us bring hope in the midst of this darkness for your glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.